two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. We are watching conflicts across the globe right now. We have the war in Ukraine, war in Israel, and interestingly, mixed feelings about both among Americans right here on our soil. And I thought it was time to bring in an expert, sadly, on the subject of war. He is the former national security advisor to both President Trump and Vice President Pence and co-chairman of the Center for American Security. Also, a regular visitor to Michigan and strong supporter of Republicans like Tom Barrett, who is running for Congress. Without further ado, I want to bring in retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. General, thank you so much for coming on. Tudor, it's good to be with you. Thank you. And oh, by the way, Great supporter of yours because you're great. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And I you, I mean, honestly, I, for people listening, you traveled around the country in 22 and I saw you several times in Michigan. And I just appreciate what you were willing to do to stand up for strong conservatives out there. And right now we need strong people to stand up and, and explain what's going on, because one of the things that we've been experience, I w- experiencing, I would say, since October 7th is I don't think people really understand what we're seeing. And we have too many people who have never had any experience with war or strategy or anything like that coming out and saying, this is how it should be done. And I think that's incredibly dangerous for people across the country watching on social media and saying, oh, yeah, I think they're right and having no idea what that actually means. So I I wanted to kind of hit on both things because well, I, we just had a guest on who said something really interesting. He was saying how you don't hear the term ceasefire come up at all with Ukraine, but you hear it with Israel. Why are we having such a different reaction to the war with Russia, Ukrainian war with Russia, than we are with Israel? 
Yeah, Tudor, it's a great question. In fact, I was talking to, to the, my team today about this and how they're really kind of dissimilar. And I was trying to get in my mind how to, to kind of talk the way through what you're seeing what's happening in Israel right now and also Ukraine and, and Russia going on. Let's just stay right now a, a bit with, with Israel. I, the reason why I think you're hearing ceasefire is it's now it's, it's an issue that crosses just not geography. But it crosses religious lines as well. It crosses personalities. And you look at what's happening there and you go, there's nobody's, it's really unsettling because you've got a lot of players involved in the process where Ukraine and Russia is kind of clean. It's Russia versus Ukraine, supporters of, of Ukraine, considerable number, very few numbers supporting Russia. But it's like a territorial dispute, simplistically put. This is much, much deeper than that. It's really, it's, it's, it's not just generational, it's a religious discussion that goes back pre-biblical times. And you, when they talk about a ceasefire, I think people are running a little bit scared because when they sit down and talk about it, it's really hard to put your hands around it and hard to get to an end state on it. And what you're looking at right mm. now with the state of Israel, uh, they're actually facing uh, Hamas out of Gaza, which is one organization they have to concern themselves with. And then you have uh, Hezbollah in the north, which is another terrorist organization all supported by Iran, which is an external state, is supporting both. Interestingly enough, you know, you've got Iran, which is Shia Muslim, and you've got Hezbollah, Shia Muslim, and you've got Hamas, which is Sunni Muslim. And usually they're, they're fighting each other. This time they're fighting together. So they're trying to put all this together. I think people are concerned about, well, how do you get out of this? And this one is really hard to get out of. And the reason it's hard to get out of is because they talk about a two-state solution Palestinian homeland, a Jewish homeland, and you really have to cut through the chatter, and it's really hard to do it. Let me get back. When we had this issue in the Trump White House, we realized the only way out of this was economics of all things. We said they have been fighting for generations, the, the, the Jewish community and the, the Palestinians and the Arabs as well. We said, if you can make everybody's lives better with the, through the Abraham Accords, maybe you can tamp this down and we can finally come up with some type of peace plan. But right now, you're not seeing that at all. They've gone back to the way it was well before our administration. And the only way they look at this is it's a fight to the death. When you've got Hamas, which wants to, by their charter, expel uh, Israel from the state of, state of Israel, take that as a Palestinian homeland, but also kill every single Jew. It's an extermination plan. And it's supported by Iran. Iran, in their parliament, chants death to America, death to Israel. You know, that shows that they're not really a friendly party to this. And you, then you look at the external influences, which is happening in that region. You've got, obviously, Lebanon. You've got Syria. You've got Iran that's involved. You've got Jordan that's involved. You've got Egypt involved. You've got the United States that's involved. You've got the Russia that's involved. And now you've got China sending warships through the Red Sea, up into the Mediterranean. you got everybody playing in this pretty tough neighborhood, and it's hard to get your handle around it. Here's where I would come from. I had a long discussion, trying to make it as simple as I can. What, I, what you need to really have is clarity of thought and clarity of action. You have to be very, very clear. Be very, very definitive about what the end state looks like and how you explain that end state. And what I think this administration is doing is explaining way too much too many people mm. are talking, and there should be fewer and fewer people talking. But one or two talk, and that's all, and then have the force behind it. But you've got Blinken and the U.N. talking. You've got Kerry talking. You have the vice president talking. You have the president talking. And they're not all saying the same thing. 
You know, it, I mean, Blinken it, it, was tough at the U.N. He came out and he uh, he yeah. you know, we've not heard this administration say if you move, we go after Iran. But they said that today. Well, but it's all but it's their actions, Tudor, what they're going to do. You know, if, if you uh, you know, when I remember when President Trump, we were in the State of the Union address when he said clearly, if you attack an American, you forfeit your life. OK, mm. we got that one. And then everybody stayed on that message. We said, OK, if you kill an American, we're coming after you. If you arm an American, we're coming after you. What they are is they're a little bit all over the ballpark. And, and that concerns me. Blinken did make some hard comments. But now the question is, OK, are you going to follow up with that? But if you read his line, if you read the words, and there, there are a lot of them are nuanced. They're not as with, filled with clarity. What I mean by clarity, this is clarity. If you kill an American, you forfeited your life, we're coming after you. You. Okay, they haven't heard that. I haven't heard this administration say for the Hamas leadership, some of them are living in exile right now in Qatar. We are coming after you and you are, you, you know, we will eliminate you. And you need to have clarity of thought like that. And it's hard to say that. That's when it's hard to get your hands around. It's a tough, tough thing to figure out. I think what everybody has to understand what happened in early October was that this, this issue is something that I thought we stopped in 1945. And what I mean by 1945, when we came out of World War II, we said, never again. Well, do we mean that? Do we really mean never again? And if we mean never again, then you prosecute to the fullest. You tell the Israelis, your job mm -hmm. is to eliminate Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, any way you can, whatever it takes to get there, we are behind you, period. And just let, but, give them uh, all but here's the my question about that, and I think this is where the American people are feeling like this is unwinnable and and feeling discouraged because there's not a lot of good information going around. It is that this seems like going after the boogeyman because you just said some of them are in hiding in Qatar. You have these people that are coming over and, mm -hmm. and parachutes. They're they're just they've offered to just give up their lives to go literally kill people in cold blood. They're coming in from the sea. They've killed a few. They've killed a few of these militants coming in from a sea infiltration. How do you take care of an enemy who's everywhere and nowhere? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And I'll give you the answer we came up with primarily with when we did it with ISIS and we did it with a lot of the other terrorist states. What you start doing is you basically eliminate, kill the leadership. And then you tell the second in command, you are next and you get him. And the third in command and the fourth in command and the fifth in command, right down the line. After a while, nobody wants that job. And you basically said, that's what we did with ISIS. We went down the line. We took a, a, a terrorist caliphate, which was the size of Great Britain, reduced it. And then we started taking out their leaders. And al-Baghdadi went into hiding. And right, and we went after him, and we got him. Nobody knows who the leader of ISIS is right now because they're in hiding. Nobody wants to be the leader of ISIS. It, does, it, does it happen overnight? No. But it's one of those things you have to have a concentrated effort and a very concise and clear message. This is what we're going to do. It's not clean. It's not easy. It's a little bit messy. But that's kind of the world you live in in the Middle East. It, it's kind of a a hodgepodge of, of discussions, relationships, plans of action. It's really confusing to everybody. I understand it. And that's the reason why you have to have clarity of thought. It's not easy. I will tell you that we, we, it took us, Tudor, about four years to finally figure out the Middle East because everybody kept pushing back on it. But let me give you a couple of examples of what we did to try to bring clarity for it. For example, we said we were going to move when we first came in 
we're going to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Presidents before, Obama before, Clinton before that, Bush before that, all said you can't do that, even though an act was passed, the Jerusalem Act, which moved the embassy. Trump did it. What were we told? Won't happen. You'll have your third intifada. Nothing happened. We moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. We put a stake in the ground and said, this is important. We started the Abraham Peace Accords. Everybody said, you can't do that. You've got to have the Palestinians on board. We said, no. If they want to have peace, come on board economically. And all of a sudden, the Abraham Accords started to work. And we, even right now, it looks like they were heading towards normalization between the, the, the Saudis and the Israelis, which would have been incredible if they had been able to pull that one off. So, and then when we, after Soleimani, we said to the Iranians, look, you kill an American, hurt an American, we're coming after your leadership. We killed Soleimani, the Quds Force commander, and we told Khamenei, the supreme leader, you were next. And how did they react to that? Well, three days after we killed Soleimani, they shot down, they, the Iranians, shot down a Ukrainian airliner that was leaving Tehran. Why? Because through intercepts, we realized they thought it was us coming after the Supreme Leader. It quieted everything down. Those are the steps you have to take. They're forceful but, steps. Well, let me ask you, do you think that the hit on Soleimani has affected Israel, though? Because if you look at the Twitter account of Khamenei, who is allowed to be on Twitter no matter what, I mean, mm-hmm. even through yeah. the days of Twitter past, he was still out there tweeting that he was coming after the United States and he was going to avenge Soleimani's death. Did that affect what's happening in Israel today? Because obviously this is Iran behind this. They're mm-hmm. putting money into Hamas. They're putting money into Hezbollah. They are out there still talking about Soleimani. So did that actually stick with him? And he was like, I'm going to I'm going to go after them in some way. Is this his retaliation? Partially, Tudor, it is. But it's also his retaliation because he looks at the leadership of the United States and he says, I can get away with this one. I can push on this one. Mm-hmm. I can push the envelope. If it had been President Trump or somebody like a Trump in the White House, if he had said that, you know, our response probably would have been, well, you're going to get a uh, Tomahawk land attack missile through your front door. And yeah, we Biden's been. given him $6 billion instead of yeah. wiping him off the yeah. earth. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll give you an aside, an example of uh, when we were first came in, the last administration. Remember, you had uh, Bashar Assad in Syria using nerve gas. and President Obama at the time said, if you use nerve gas on civilians, that's a red line you're going to cross. We're going to do something. Well, they did it again. Nothing happened. On our watch, they used sarin nerve gas, killed a lot of civilians, and we hit them with Tom Ackland attack missiles. And we said, you violated the norms. You've gone beyond the norm. And, and we wanted to make sure you understood that by putting T-LAMs on the airfield and on the storage facility of the nerve gas. They never used it again, not on our watch. And that's what you have to do. So what is Khamenei, the supreme lo- leader, looking looking at? He says, I think there's weakness. I'm going to send the current Quds Force commander, the individual who replaced Khamenei, into Lebanon to talk to Hezbollah. And we would have said, you know, he may get into Lebanon, and he may be talking to, he- to Hezbollah, but he's not going to be able to fly out because his airplane's going to be gone, or he's going to be gone. And you make a message, you send a message like that. It's a tough neighborhood. But you have to back it up with force. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. 
I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do they think that the United States is forceful at all now? I mean, I think the, the half of the people in this country are saying... Are we being played by this administration who is in total chaos? I mean, they've got they yeah. can't even answer a question about anti-Semitism these days. I mean, it, they're they're tweeting out pictures of our special forces. It's like they've completely lost all of the the rules of the game here. So how do they keep strong over in the Middle East? Well, they, they don't, Tudor, and you're absolutely right. By the way, just an aside, because we when we used to go to the Middle East, we'd meet with uh, members of SEAL Team Six and Delta Force over there. One thing we never allowed in the room, photographers. And we met them several times. So I said, why would you even bring a photographer into the room when you're meeting with your special ops guys? And, I mean, it's I, like I, complete incompetence. Yeah. I think that is what the American people are going, wait a minute, we've got a president who's likely not in there. And in that case, I think many of us have said, well, these people, there's a lot of career people there. There's a lot of people there in the administration that know how to do this. They don't know how to do this. Yeah, they don't. And I, when there was comment they were going to bring adults in the room, I think they missed on this one. It's more like kids in the sandbox. But mm -hmm. remember now, you have to go back historically a little bit and look at the team that Biden brought in. This is a lot of the old Obama team and a lot of the people who worked for him before. Remember, this is the same guy, Vice President Biden, now President Biden, who Bob Gates, former Secretary of Defense, former Director of the CIA, on their watch said, has been wrong on nearly every 
national security decision in the last 40 years. And then the, the killer to me is remember when they went after Osama bin Laden inside the Situation Room, one individual said they shouldn't do it. It was Joe Biden. So what you're looking at is a level of confidence, but also of will. I remember probably two years ago, I went on a show up at Fox with Martha McCallum, and she said, what keeps you up at night? And they were all answering different questions. And I said, the will of the president of the United States to execute a mission that he thinks is tough or hard, and is proving it right now. When you look what's happened in Ukraine, where we've slow rolled stuff to get to the Ukraine, you know, the Abrams tank or the Attackums missile systems, or the aircraft, it's always a day short, a dollar, you know, a dollar short at daylight. When you look at all of that by this administration, it, it just show, doesn't show a lot of confidence to me or to the American I mean, people. even if we go back to this Chinese spy balloon, I think that's a major concern of the American people as well, as we're seeing some of these weapons that, that Hamas is using seem to be from North Korea. We see this over in Russia. We see that this axis of evil is kind of coming together. Russia, China, North Korea, Iran. How bad is this for the United States if we go... Oh, they actually, it's a weather balloon. It just accidentally ended up in the United States. How incompetent is this administration? It's pretty bad. And the way you handle that actually is not the incompetence. You handle that through an election. But what you're looking at is you keep them, you keep them, the issues separated. It's sort of like, think of a juggler juggling a lot of balls. Okay, you, you keep adding balls to the juggler. And all of a sudden, he's going to drop one of them. We are, we actually said the best way to handle it is you handle the last administration. You handle each event discreetly, one at a time. It's like a one-off. You handle this one. You handle this one. You do it. You can do it simultaneously, but you isolate the incidents and then you focus in on it. Because when you look at all the events happening, <clears throat> think of a giant funnel. All these problems are put into a funnel, but when it comes out the bottom of the spigot, it generally ends up on the same person's desk most of the time. The president, the vice president the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, uh, the, the, the bottom line, your, your communications team, that's about it. So they get almost overwhelmed by it. So we would always discreetly attack each one individually. You've got a team to do it, but it's got to be a good team. I don't see that in this team. I don't have a lot of confidence in the whole team they put together. And, and people say, they challenge you, well, what do you mean? I say, well, show me the good and the things that have come out of it. Look, an example. Right now, there was an article this morning that right now we're talking about potentially evacuating key non-personnel, non-important, non-key personnel out of the embassy in Baghdad. You know, when we had our embassy attacked, when we were in the administration, we reinforced it. We've now already cleared out of four embassies, be it Belarus or be it Ukraine or be it Sudan or be it Afghanistan. They came out of those embassies, always reinforced those embassies. So you never think about backing away. And, and well, that didn't happen under the Obama administration. Yeah, well, right. Well, you look at that, they're talking about a non-combatant evacuation of citizens from Israel. No, we've never, ever, never done that. Multiple administrations, anytime there's been a war. I don't care if it was the Six-Day War or the Yom Kippur War. We've never pulled Americans out. Don't even talk like that. That shows less confidence in the Israeli team, the military team, the diplomatic team, diplomatic team and you never pull people out. And th that's just this way of they're like, they're sort of like cutting and running. You don't do that. You reinforce. You make sure they understand. Well, oh, okay, so let me ask States. you this, because I think that we see too many people, I would say, with the social media influence that we have, with all of these messages that are out there of America first, people mm -hmm. have forgotten 
forgotten that America first means that America has to be the world leader. America has to be the world power. And that means that in certain cases, America does have to step in. But we've gotten this message on the ground here in the United States that taxpayer dollars should not leave the country. We don't want to fund Ukraine. We don't want to fund Israel. From a military perspective, talk about how America first means that you still have to step into these conflicts because you have to show that force so that you can p retain that position of the world leader. Yeah. You know, America first is not isolationism. And that's mm. got kind of the rapid talk about that. It's not at all. What America first means when you do it in national security was you make sure you take care of yourselves first. And when you take make sure you're OK first, then you can extend yourself and help others that out that are out there in the world. And so you're making yourself, you look at it and you say, is this in our best interest? And if it's in America's best interest, then we easily go forward. And I can defend what we're doing with Ukraine or what we're doing with Israel from an America first perspective, because there's reasons why we're doing this. And like, for example, let's just use Ukraine. I have said repeatedly, taking Russia, a strategic adversary, off the stage is good for America. Because long term, if you can take Russia off off the map as a strategic adversary militarily, then, then they cannot threaten NATO and they cannot threaten the West. That's okay to do that. And we're using somebody else to do it. Ukraine, they're using our kid, but they're using their lives and effort to do so. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion to have, but that's the reason I said, I prefaced it by saying America first is not isolationism, because a lot of people say that. No, it's not. It's what is your best, what is in the best interest of the United States of America. We have done that repeatedly in history, and we should do that. Like right now, what's happening in the Middle East, we said that's in America's best interest to be there. Why? Because in 1945, we said we will never tolerate something like that happening again, because the world can't tolerate it. We saw what happened when Assad used sarin nerve gas. We saw what happened with, with ISIS, what they did. We saw what happened with, with the Iranians and trying to penetrate the Middle East and what they did with, uh, in Iraq and, and also what they did with Saudi Arabia. So you make a case for it, what's best in, for America. And it's not, by the way, it's not climate change. It's being aggressive about it, but you have to explain that. And I think part of the problem this administration has, and I talked to Kaylee McEnany today about that, it's a messaging issue. They don't message very well. What is the message to the American people? You know, when President Biden went on television last week, Tudor, that was the first time in over 600 days that mm -hmm. he addressed the nation about Ukraine. But then he conflated it with, with Israel. I said before that, that address, I wish he would just focus in strictly on Israel. He could have handled Ukraine in the five or 600 days before that, and he didn't do it. But when he brought all of that together, it just confused America more and more. So you couldn't really figure out, okay, what's really important here? He talked everything from climate change to Israel, to Ukraine, to support, uh, to, to bigotry, you name it. It was all in there. It was like a dog's breakfast. Do you think that there has been a bigger infiltration of I would say the enemy within even our youth and our schools, because I think climate change is interesting that you bring up. I mean, I think for many years we have seen Greta Thunberg out there talking about yeah. this and we've always kind of said, you know, this is just this is just a child who's gotten involved in this issue and is probably being used by people. But 
the last few days, she's come out for Palestine. She's said that she's with essentially with the terrorist group. And I would have to argue that her messaging and her visits to the U.N. and her demands that the United States stop drilling for oil has made Iran a very rich country, has made the Middle East very rich. And as we've talked about this DEI and these things in schools where we're talking about climate change, we're talking about oppressors, we're talking about all this stuff. It has really changed the hearts and minds of young people in the United States. And it almost seems like it was planned. Yeah, you know, Tudor, we're a great nation. And for, for when you look at what we have done in the world and when they accuse us of things like, you know, being negative on the environment, I would mm-hmm. push back and say, no, look at the environmental activities that we've done over the last 30, 40 years compared to the rest of the world. I feel pretty good about what America's done. And I'm not going to wear that, you know, that sackcloth and ashes over my head and, and really apologize for anything. And it, she kind of showed her true colors when she came out on the Palestinian issue. And it, we just have to, my concern is we don't educate our young very well about this. We don't talk about it very well. And there, I think there's a huge lack of education in our schools and with our kids as well uh, that, that we explain to them what's really going on. And this is the reason I think it's important, which is, a, this is a huge, by the way, intellectual leap. This is the reason I think it's so important that parents get so very heavily involved in the schools because they need to know what their kids are being taught. Because it, that's where they're going to get, you know, that's where we can push back on these schools and some of these issues. I let the parents getting involved and say, no, this is really what's good about America. Because I get the feeling, and you see it, that there's a lot of negativity about what our nation has done in the past and what it's doing in the future. You know, there's people trying to get into this country. You know, we didn't build a wall to prevent people from leaving it. We prevented them from coming in. Not a whole lot of people are leaving this country. They want to be. Right. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. 
Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We had a generation that missed getting involved in school because we always felt safe. We felt like that was the place the teachers knew best. They had it under control Mm. and people stepped back. And then I would say that the generation, maybe starting in my generation, the generation below me really started kind of going through this indoctrination of... What we see today, these kids on college campuses that are out there protesting after we just saw a genocidal attack on Israel. And and so this generation, my generation that has kids in school now, that, that generation that you're calling on to get involved in schools is somewhat confused as to what the message is, which I think is shocking. But we seem to have missed it a little bit. Now we have to go backward. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is the role of parents, too, Tudor. I think you had it right, not only in your campaign, but like we do what you've done with your family. And I, I think you have to, you know, like we've done with our family, is basically you have to kind of sit down and talk your way through it, not let them sit at the dinner table, you know, looking at their iPad or looking at their, their iPhones, but actually talk about what's happening and have these discussions because it's too important. You know, I remember growing up, I mean, the, the, the toughest discussions I had was on a Saturday morning having breakfast with my mom, dad, and my brothers and sisters. It was like World War III around the table. But I mean, it was at, least, at least we got it out and we talked about it. And I don't think you're seeing that today. And that's the reason why you see a whole generation, which is unfortunate. And it's kind of like, okay, how do we fix it? And I, not to put blame on anybody, but say, look, this is something we've got to get our youth kind of up to game again that we haven't done. And I think that's the reason why you see a loss of patriotism in this country, of polling's on the interest. That's the reason why you see that the the military and the Army, Navy, and Air Force this year have missed the recruiting goals. Mm-hmm. The Army has missed it two years in a row because you see all these issues and you need to kind of explain it to them what's right and what's wrong. That's the reason why I talk about Israel. I said in 1945, this is a moral issue. And this is an issue you talk about moral clarity. And you say, look, there's, there's, there's a real issue here between good and bad, you know, evil and good, and explaining to them why this is important. You know, terrorists gleefully saying and explaining over the phone how they killed women and children, that is not good. That's evil. And that has to be eradicated. We we went after that in 1945, and we need to do it again. And we need to explain that to people. We need to explain that on college campuses. And we need to explain that when people rip uh, posters off a, uh, of a telephone pole that shows the missing. Just challenge those people. And I think it has to be done. And I think that's important if we need to bring the next generation along and show them what's really right, not only in their own lives, but in America as well. And that's the conflict you see. I think that it is not just, I love what you're saying, because it's not just that as parents, we need to talk to our kids. We had a guest on one time who told us that 
the majority of parents don't have more than 15 minutes of meaningful conversation with their children in a week. Meaningful conversation. And it really struck me. And I sat back and I, I thought to myself, how much content is my child consuming every week that is coming at her from all different perspectives that she feels is meaningful? And I'm not talking about that with her. You know, how often are they getting information? But my kids will come to me and they'll say, well, mom, you know, you're watching the news and you see this, but did you know that all of these people are dying and it was actually their land? And then we have an opportunity to kind of say, okay, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Let's talk about why we need to have an ally there. And I mean, these are hard conversations, but even over and above the Israel conversations, we still have people that are putting content into our kids' minds to say, step away from faith, step away from family, step away from traditional relationships, that kind of stuff. And if that's that's not what you want your child consuming or you want to talk about it, make sure you have those discussions with your kids so that they know where your values lie. And I honestly, I've had this conversation too. It is worth putting things aside that you want to have in your life to have a values-based education for your child. Yeah, and here's, here's in a na- international, kind of close the circle on that one, because here's why it's so important in national security, we, we do that. Because sometime, one day, it may happen again, God, I hope it doesn't happen, but it might, that this nation will be involved in a general war, a major war. And that's when you need the, the, the young men and women of today mm. to rise up and support and fight our nation's wars. And they can if they don't believe in it. And, and, and the last time I saw this nation truly come together was in the first Gulf War. Uh, when, and I was deployed in the first Gulf War. But I remember coming home and, you know, the yellow ribbons around the trees and the amount of support we had. And that's the kind of generation that you're going to need. And they're going to need it that they have to believe in this country. And it goes back to what you said earlier. That's what we talk about America first. When you talk about Again, it's not isolationism. It's your value set. It's what you're willing to do, both internationally and nationally as well, and what it means. And that means sometimes we have to extend ourselves as Americans in places we had never planned on being or hoped not to be and actually fight for this nation, fight for its value set, and what we, we want it to be, what this world we want it to be. And that's where we're kind yeah. of coming from. Because right now, I don't see that at all. We talked about that with another guest about after World War II or during World War II, we had people like Joe DiMaggio sign up and say, after Pearl Harbor, I'm going, I'm deploying. Mm -hmm. Same with 9-11. You had people just say, I'm going, I'm going to fight for this country. And today we hear people who are saying, well, why would I want to go over there and do this? And I think that that is a lesson too in how important it is to have a key ally in such a volatile portion of the world, but an important portion of the world, because that is where a lot of oil production is, is coming from. And there is a lot of power there. There's, there's so we could probably talk for hours about this, but I love that you brought the parents into this. And I'm so glad you were here with me today. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, thank you so much for coming on. Tudor, thanks for having me. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast. As always, for this episode and others, go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a blessed day. 
two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4patriots.com slash tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com slash tutor. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.